Welcome to San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. This is our fun food and drink-filled podcast uh, from San Diego Magazine. I'm David Martin. I'm one of your hosts here. Uh, happy to be with you on this recording on it on a Monday. Well, you will I'll be hearing it on a Wednesday with me as always. Super funny writer guy. Do you miss being called super funny writer guy, Troy? Oh man, I forgot about that. When Aaron Chambers Smith is here, she would say it every day, and it was really the only reason I woke up in life. I was yeah. like, oh my god, I'm gonna get a compliment today on the podcast. I'm like, everything else is going to hell, handbasket on fire, you know. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm getting a compliment today. And I show no, I up like a little puppy. <laughs> Though I feel like now it's like super fun writer guy, but also like super serious writer guy as well. Like, yeah, it's definitely like changed. You're, you're pumping out some great, great stuff there on the website lately. Thank you, man. You know, it's all it's all about you know trying to understand why people are yelling at people over masks and how restaurants are going to survive. And you know, it's I mean, there's there is so many people's livelihoods on the line that it's it's hard to be funny. You want to keep some levity in life. You want to tell their story. You know, while without like getting too sad because they got enough sadness in their life, but also be real about it. And it's, it's I, this is the hardest time I've ever you know um, written. It's the hardest time anybody's ever done anything in their life, right? You know, but I mean, it's 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 really good for me personally because it just challenges you to tell their story without just like crying onto the page or being too light about it you know there's a, a balance that i haven't had to try to strike before and it's been a really good challenge well you are succeeding at that challenge i would i would definitely say and Thanks, with buddy. us also our editor of san diego magazine marie tucko she writes all the amazing content and basically controls what you see in the magazine Marie, I see you're once again in the office. I thought you were going to move to your living room to be more comfortable for this, but I see still office bound. I, I will. I am going to move after shipping. I decided that it's probably best to not um, try to disconnect everything and reset everything up with the server when we have to send everything to print soon. So I'm just going to um, wait until that's done, and then I will be out of the office um, permanently. <laughs> not, not, not in that sense, but permanently remotely. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And that, I guess we should say, everyone, get ready for San Diego Magazine to come back into your mailbox uh, coming August. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. So, uh, and also this week, we're lucky enough to have a super rad, great guest, Michael Skubik, the owner of Old Harbor Distillery, a uh, really great East Village distillery. I think they were pretty much the first uh, urban distillery in the country, if not just California, one or the other. Uh, great product, making some great gins. Michael, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. Good, yeah, happy to be here talking to you guys. It's nice to awesome. socialize a little bit during these times. <laughs> where are you right now, man? I mean, are you at your home and where is your home? And give us the address and, you know, and, and what time <laughs> that we should steal stuff out of your mailbox. You know, I'm actually up at my parents' house. Uh, my aunt just had surgery and my dad actually did it on her. So I'm like kind of just there to support a little bit. She oh, had wow. a spine surgery, fused two of her spine spinal cord or spine columns together so and your dad wow. that's no pressure at all wow yeah i imagine <laughs> dad's probably good at his job but <laughs> yeah okay that's for his rodeo yeah that yeah, is just kind of hanging with the family so nice yeah i'm sure you're drinking a bunch of uh, old harbor to uh maintain some sanity with that <laughs> we've had some a few cocktails yes <laughs> <laughs> awesome if you haven't listened before, what we do is we go through a segment called Hot Plates, giving you all sorts of local news about the local drinking and eating scene here in San Diego. Then we're going to sit down and chat with Michael, get really in-depth with some of the cool things that he's been doing with Old Harbor. And as always, we end with what was formerly two people, 50 bucks, is now two people for takeout, which maybe someday will be two people for not takeout. 
But as of now, that's what it is. So, Marie, let's get started with the news. So there's a new eatery in Barrio Logan, and it's Puerto Rican food. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, it is, and this was good news. Uh, the owner, Mike uh, Tito Irizarry, he actually emailed us to say that he was open, and he's serving uh, tripletta sandwiches. Um, this, traditionally, they come with three different kinds of meat, usually grilled steak, uh, lechon, and ham. And he's been at farmer's markets since 2009 and had a catering business. And he just opened his first a brick and mortar in Barrio Logan inside the space where Attitude Brewing is. David, if you haven't been, they kind of have um, like a luchador, you know, the Mexican wrestling theme. The decor is really mm -hmm. cool. And so they've been open there in, for a couple of months. And they also have fried plantains, uh, yuca fries, and chicken wings with a uh, mojo sauce. That's a Caribbean sauce with, you know, garlic and citrus. And he's going to start selling coffee, snacks, and groceries from Puerto Rico in the coming weeks. So he's also kind of uh, turning it into a marketplace as well. And you could stick mojo sauce on, I don't know, COVID, and I'd eat it. That's, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that is the worst thing I've ever said, and I take that back, and it's really not funny. What, uh, what exactly it, is in that sauce? It's usually like lime juice, orange juice, chilies, garlic, cilantro, oil, a little bit of salt and sugar. I mean, so it's, it's everything. It's just like a, a green, vibrant, oh, it's awesome. It's like a creamy chimichurri almost. Mm. You know? mm -hmm. and I, I feel mean, like I could mix that with some Old Harbor gin too, all those ingredients. <laughs> Absolutely. You can make yourself a mojo mojita, uh, mojito. <laughs> Um, but the, I mean, like Puerto Rican food, I mean, you're talking plantains. I mean, you're talking like tostones, you know, you're talking a, a lot of the undervalued plantain. Although I will say this, I don't like plantains. I, I can't, I can't do it. It's one of those foods and I love almost every food and I have tried and tried and tried to love plantains. And almost every time I'm like, why do these taste a little dry to me? I can't do it. I, I really, and I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to go back to this place and I'm going to expose myself yet again. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn to love them. You know, I'm, I'm going to stock them until I do. Have you, have you tried making sauces with them like purees? Mmm, now you're talking. I have it. Then David. you get rid of that kind of weird texture when you add a little bit more extra. Nice. nice. Anyways, it. I'm glad to see this, this guy's open and I have another chance to like it, like plantains. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, other news coming out of Jun and Jolie. Uh, Andrew Bachelor has left. Marie, what's going on with them? So, he did. Uh, this was announced last Friday and this came to us via a press release. Um, Andrew wants to spend more time with his family. So after five years with the restaurant, he, uh, he, he did leave. He is stepping down. Um, it was an amicable parting between uh, he and the owner, John Resnick, uh, Dusan Todek, the executive sous chef. He'll be taking over in the meantime uh, while they search for a new executive chef. And uh, Junin Jolie was named one of the best restaurants in the country last year by Esquire magazine. I remember we discussed it on the show when that news came out. But um, this, is, this is sad news in the food world, but it's completely understandable if after five years and especially with what's going on if he, if he just wants to spend, spend more time with his family. Yeah, I, I think everybody is at that precipice, no matter what sort of position you're in. You know, I think everybody's like, do I just take off right now? With this, we're looking at anywhere between two months and a year 
for this to be solved. You know, and, and if you, you might just go like, you know, I want to go home. I want to raise my daughter. He's got a daughter that's part of his daughter's name is part of June at Jolie. It's two of the owner's names. It was Andrew's daughter and owner John's daughter, June at Jolie. You know, I, I don't blame him whatsoever. But this is a really sad loss for the San Diego restaurant scene. I think we're going to see, start seeing a lot more splintering like this as the COVID situation gets worse and worse. You know, this is one, uh, by far one of the best restaurants that we have in San Diego. And like, you know, I mean, Esquire, we talked about it at the time, whether or not that they got it, they heard about it through a PR thing, whatever. And I don't even want to bring that back up because I can feel bad about it. But they are a fantastic restaurant, you know, did get national attention, was bringing national attention to San Diego, you know, and, and now we're losing that chef, not losing the restaurant and not losing the soul. And I'm sure that they had a great team. And I'm sure that his second in command is probably a damn, damn good chef, you know, but even the best, you know, and the most accoladed and the most like prized restaurants are, you know, at risk of losing key, key players here. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a hard thing to watch. Was he the guy we had on the podcast or was he not the partner that we had on? We had John Resnick, who's the owner of John, it. yes. Okay. Yeah. Andrew's just, he's been head down. He worked at Addison, which again, it became one of our, you know, became the only Michelin star restaurant in San Diego. He worked um, there for a while, um, you know, and he's just really just traditionally French knows like that old craft, you know, he's doing frog legs, you know, I joined a Jolie, you know, he's doing it, but like adding like a Thai chili sauce to it. I mean, really doing some cool, cool stuff. I know he'll land somewhere after this, you know, but it's like, everybody just wants to go in the cave you know everybody just wants to go hibernate for a little while you know um andrew how do you feel about that you, you want to go hide in the cave or you want to keep on running your company oh me yeah <laughs> um it's michael but yeah uh, oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry michael my bad my bad like is there another guy here i, don't I, I just andrew andrew's the chef that just left i, I yeah for sure it's um no i well you know, it's kind of forced us to hibernate a little bit since we can't yeah. exactly be going out to restaurants and such. But uh, fortunately, you know, the well, not for well, unfortunately, you know, pretty much every restaurant's closed down to a certain extent. But people have not stopped drinking, and liquor store sales have actually increased significantly. So mm -hmm. we're just as busy as before, just in a different respect. Right. I mean, but I obviously, you know, it's I I don't need to go to liquor stores. So I kind of really miss going to restaurants and having a good crap cocktail made. So I'm yeah, looking forward to that yeah. happening again someday. Okay. It happens well, soon enough. Well, good. That's good. That's good to hear that you guys are going strong. I mean, I love hearing that. Yeah. We don't want to have everybody triaging everywhere. All yeah. right. What's next, Marie? So this is some good news. Uh, Chef William Bradley from Addison, uh, San Diego's only restaurant that has a Michelin star. He posted on Instagram that they are reopening on August 1st. They are going outdoors to a new secret rooftop space that overlooks uh, Penasquitos Canyon, and this is this is just exciting that they that that they're doing this. Yeah, I mean William Bradley has you know again our only Michelin star chef in San Diego, and quite honest with you, I mean they re they renovated their re restaurant Addison, which is inside the Grand Del Mar, this four hundred million dollar like yacht version of a resort you know and it's and it's beautiful but the restaurant itself could be to be quite honest with you is a little bit intimidating and not necessarily my style so i think it's actually going to be better than he's going to be on a rooftop i would feel a little bit more at ease and <laughs> eating his food he is one of the most talented people that we have you know and it's good to see that 
restaurant back up and going because they employ a ton of really talented people too. They to employ like five or six certified sommeliers on staff. You know, one of the best cocktail minds that I know. Um, I mean, they are, they do everything to the most world classiest they can possibly do it. And it's how, you know, fine dining, if you really like that attenuated, perfect Michelin star, you know, experience, that's the spot you go in San Diego. It'd be interesting to see how it works in Alfresco. I'm really curious to see how it'll be decorated because it's a Michelin star restaurant. You can't just go up there and throw some tents up and some picnic tables and call it a day. It has to be like (laughs) really kind of, you know, extent like expansive and I mean like cool canopies that have chandeliers hanging from them or something along those lines. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that. You go up and it's just a bunch of SpongeBob shower curtains. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm hoping for. Or like, you know, like maybe just even some of those like kiddie pools, you know, because you know, it's not going to be cool on top of that restaurant, the roof, it's going to be hot. (laughs) This is true. There's like like 30 foot tweezers, you know, that they just like, that are separators, you know, I I, I can't wait to see. All awesome. Right. Well, that's hot plates for you all. Um, just to let you know, Marie will be putting up a blog post on San Diego magazine.com uh, linking to basically all of these different stories and things where you can find out more information. In addition to that, uh, we really want to hear from you. Uh, want any kind of restaurant recommendation? We want to hear your two people, 50 bucks, reach out and let us know. You can give us a call at 619-744-0535 and leave myself a voicemail. Uh, I will not answer the phone. It will be completely silent. Uh, or you can email us at happyhalfhour at sdmag.com. And uh, one other thing, uh, just while you're at it, as we all could use it, give us five stars, please, on the Apple iTunes uh, store. We would very much, much appreciate it. There's a little rating there, and it helps us go up to the top. It helps us get out Michael Skubik's story, not Andrew. It helps us get out, you know, like stories of San Diego's food and drink scene. Five stars, even if you feel like we're a two, just lie for us and, you know, feel bad and good about it at the same time. Thanks. Yeah. And considering we're doing this remote with four different microphone setups, four different processors on a Zoom call where I can't even like remix each individual track. I can't wait till we can actually do this all in person again, where it'll be a legit five stars instead of the three. Well, I think zoom.com could easily be awkward.com. It is, yes. it is like one of the <laughs> craziestly like, awkward experiences to be on here with you guys. But because we've been doing it for so long, all in the same room, it doesn't feel that bad. I kind of know when David arches his eyebrows that he wants to say something. I know when Marie <laughs> gets up and walks out of the room, she doesn't want to add to the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and Troy, weren't you supposed to bring like a stuffed dragon into the, the call today? Oh, I am. Here it is. Here it is, everybody. I won this at Legoland. That's right. <laughs> I have a rainbow unicorn. Rainbow unicorn is what it is. It's not a stuff, right? It's a four and a half foot unicorn that every, you know, I swear to God, I went to Legoland. I took my daughter. She really, really wanted to go for her birthday. And you know, all those chintzy games that you're never supposed to win. I won every single one of them. That oh, basketball hoop that nobody can shoot in. And I'm awful at basketball. First shot swish. I'm like, <laughs> what? The one where you, you like had to bank in the little wiffle ball into the basket that's angled and no one ever wins, first shot. And we had 10 balls and I'm like, oh, Allie, my daughter, eight-year-old, just go ahead and, you know, use the rest of them. I won, she won, you know, then we <laughs> did. It was nuts. Every single thing. We came back. I'm looking at four different stuffed animals that are four and a half 
feet tall. I mean, they're like they're like roommates. <laughs> it's it's don't ever go to Legoland and don't win. Don't win. That's all I'm saying. Sorry, Legoland. <laughs> who, who knew we had the LeBron James of uh, amusement parks on on our Sorry. podcast? There it is. <laughs> well, at this point, I'd love to take the time to formally introduce everyone. Uh, Michael Skubik's with us. He is the founder of Old Harbor Distilling Company, uh, which makes a line of gin, rum, and coffee liqueurs out of East Village headquarters. Michael got a start as a home brewer when he was just 21, and after college, he helped out helped co-found Hess Brewing Company, which is pretty amazing. He also ventured into his own and founded Old Harbor in 2014. And in the beginning of the pandemic, Michael teamed up with a bunch of other companies in San Diego Distillers Guild to produce 10,000 gallons of hand sanitizer when it was in short supply. So Michael, thank you for joining us and thank you for keeping our hands sanitized. <laughs> Gotta stay clean. <laughs> tell me yeah. about that, man, how you guys pivoted on that. Um, I hate that word and I'm so sorry for using it. I know that we're all a little bit tired of that. It's, it's, it's fatiguing. <laughs> Uh, very techie. Yeah, I, I, you, you did. You <laughs> took off. You obviously incorporated the hand sanitizer into the business model. It seemed like we were all out. Everybody was totally panicked. You know, couldn't find any in the store. There were people who were hoarding the, you know, bottles of it. You know, were you just like, that? this is obviously what we need to do for humanity? Or were you like, I'm going to make a quick buck? Um, yeah, no, I mean, so we ended up donating a lot of it. But basically, in the distillation process, you end up with quite a few gallons per batch of unusual spirit. Um, so in the beginning you get what's called the heads, which are like the four shots, which includes things like methanol and acetaldehyde. And you know, that, that'll actually make you go blind. And then you get to the tails, which has like heavy fusel oils and kind of like bitter off flavors that you don't like either. So those generally would get thrown away um, or sometimes put into the next batch or used for cleaners what we use it around the distillery as and uh we found out that you know nobody could get sanitizer so between what we we're already like producing just making our regular stuff we actually reached out to um since i started in the beer world and actually blake uh my director of operations and head distiller he was formerly like ballast point bns so we had a lot of beer connections so we reached out to breweries that were going to have beer that was coating which means it was going to be expiring because since all the restaurants and such were closing there's going to be a lot less demand right. for beer so we actually had you know hundreds hundreds of gallons of beer given to us and actually a, a winery gave us a bunch of like spoiled wine and we just threw that in our still and just cranked it through and turned it into 170 proof neutral-ish spirit and then we collaborated with yeah, the other a couple other guys in our guild and made hand sanitizer so it was just kind of like a for us, it wasn't like financially motivated. We just did it because we saw the need and wanted to help out in any way we possibly could. Of course, yeah. And I was totally joking about that. Of course, you were. <laughs> oh, and we made tens of thousands of dollars too. <laughs> <laughs> but how much of a? I, I know that you know a few distilleries did that. I mean, how much of yeah. a? Um, how much of a? Um, a wrench in your process was that i mean was it was it was it pretty natural so where you, where you could continue your business because obviously everybody's worried about keeping their business going period you know i mean was it yeah. or was it like you know you're like oh no this definitely took a hit out of what we could produce and and, and sell on our own um well we're not running our distillery at 100 percent capacity so we've got excess okay. space on our still um so with my still i definitely went bigger than we needed for our initial phase but uh, yeah but you guys should see he <laughs> rolled his eyes at himself when yeah. he said that. <laughs> yeah well so like i was one of the 
I helped start Hess Brewing Company a long time ago, and we started as one of the smallest breweries in America, producing about 50 gallons a batch. When I started this distillery, I kind of thought about doing that model, but then I said, no, I don't want to be in that issue where I'm making product 24 hours a day and still can't keep up with demand. I'd rather start with a much larger still. So as opposed to starting on a small scale, I decided to go big and uh, grow into it, which we've fortunately done. And But we still have you know a little bit more room to grow on our still. But if you're making spirits, it's not it's not a stretch to make sanitizer. You're already making the alcohol. Yeah. So all we're doing is adding, you know, glycerin and uh, hydrogen peroxide to it to make it so you can use it as hand sanitizer. It's a very simple process, honestly. And it went directly to the front lines or what was it? Yeah. So we were actually doing it in conjunction with Liberty call. So we would just have them, we didn't actually bottle it or package it. We'd just make them the spirit, hand it over to them. And then they took it from there. So they were giving it to, yeah, like, EMTs and hospitals and then people that were at risk. And I know if they're giving it away at their distillery in Barrio Logan this day. I still think you can get some with like any order of food or drink. So yeah. Oh, so they nice. were making, good about it. Yeah. They were making, or they were start, like having the hand sanitizer from Hess, as you mentioned, you'd started with. So did yep. you collaborate with Mike at all with that or is that completely separate? That was separate. Yeah. Mike did his own thing. He did reach out, but we didn't, I think he must have found a different source for the sanitizer because we didn't make the sanitizer for him. I don't think they were making it from their beer, though. I think they were getting sanitizer from somebody else. But I'm not sure exactly what he gotcha. ended up doing with that. Now, did it smell good? Because I, I, I got to say, like hand sanitizers, and obviously it doesn't really matter at this point. The most important thing is that we were sanitized and that we're clean and that we're protecting yeah. the human health. But I have had some god awful smelling hand sanitizers man i got this like organic hippie one at, the, at a, a store i put it on i was like oh god i, I couldn't even i couldn't even be near myself but you well if you if you like the smell of beer you might like this smell of the beer uh sourced sanitizer because it did it really kind of smell like note. beer you get a little yeah you get some hops yeah you get some uh, hops nice. and barley notes out of it yeah okay but you know once you add like hydrogen peroxide and glycerin and all that it's not so <laughs> intense but yeah. yeah. So, so it smells it, like a really clean beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2014 was pretty much like right when the super brewery, like, I feel like that's when like breweries were at their like peak or getting close to their peak. What made yeah. you decide to completely take a left and leave doing something with Mike Hess and go the opposite. And it's as far as starting a distillery. Um, I've always been more of a whiskey drinker. So I kind of became a, beer fan because uh my roommates in college were brewers and so i started making some homebrews with them and then on top of that uh mike i was actually his financial intern during college at his 401k company and he was a home brewer of like 15 years at that point and so i was just like got really into beer uh graduated college didn't have a job then decided to help mike start the brewery but at before that i was always more of a whiskey drinker and so during this time that I'm at the brewery, I kind of start looking into whiskey and distilling. So I actually go travel to Portland for a few weeks. I go to Seattle, Colorado, kind of check out like the craft distilling scenes around the country and realize that it's not so different from beer. It's just taking beer and then distilling it and then throwing it into barrels. And uh, from there, I kind of got more interested in gin and rum. And so I just kind of fell into this community and then decided that I like wanted to try my hand at it like 
it was nice to like have a start with Mike Hess and do that whole thing. But, you know, I w really wanted to be my own boss at the end of the day. Like me and Mike, I was never going to be Mike's boss, obviously. So unless I become <laughs> my own boss, I, I, I gotta, gotta do my own thing. Um, so between that and just, yeah, the love of craft spirits and seeing there wasn't much craft spirits back then, like in 2014, there were, I mean, San Diego is pretty much just Dallas point where the only people were still in at that point. Yeah. Um, then around when I opened up, there was like Malahat opened up right around the same time as we did. Um, so yeah, it was just pretty much us three right there at the beginning. Um, and obviously now there's like, 18 or something like that in san diego wow is stillaries now yeah maybe even more um but but last count i think it was like 18 ish around there um okay. a few i think one or two have closed down but yeah it's been that's yeah, been a huge boom and i think we're kind of where we were with craft beer in like 2005 where you're starting to see like some push from consumers like that are realizing oh you can get like a craft gin or a craft rum or even a craft whiskey where you know i don't know if you remember back in 2005 in san diego you wouldn't you'd maybe see like sierra nevada and stone around town but that mm -hmm. was pretty much it like it's mm -hmm. not like it is today where you can't even find a bud light handle um and i think <laughs> i'm hoping that's the same thing that's gonna happen with spirits is the consumer is gonna get more and more excited about like things that are well made with love and using like local ingredients versus you know stuff made in a giant factory that you'll never meet or know the people that make it so yeah and it's not contributing directly to the local economy except for employing salespeople. the yeah exactly interesting to me though that it really hasn't taken off like it sounds to me like yeah. you still have some work to do in your industry i would have thought when you guys came out in 2014 because of crafts um drinks yeah period. you know was spearheaded obviously by craft beer yeah. um, i would have thought that there would have been everybody would just want to be like oh yes now it's the spirit and you guys were just automatically killing it not the case not at all yeah and so <laughs> <laughs> i thought so too actually that's one of the reasons i was so willing to leave Hess. i was like oh this will be easy people love craft beer they're gonna love craft spirits um but just the it's like anything like if people don't know about it they're not gonna use it so you know kind of how we've approached it is we've kind of really tried to push ourselves through like the bar and restaurant industry because mm. if you get a bartender to start selling your product that's how you're going to introduce people to it because if you're on a liquor store shelf you know the thing about spirits is they don't go bad my bottle of gin could sit on that liquor store shelf for 100 years and yeah. taste just as good as it did the day i put it there it's not like beer where it's going to coat out and you got to get rid of it yeah. um so unless there's somebody at the bar or restaurant actually like pushing somebody to try it, it's going to require that consumer just seeing the label and be like, Oh, that's cool. I'll buy it, which does happen. But until we get consumers more aware of the whole craft spirit movement, it's going to take a while. I think Tito's has done a really good job of like, now people know there's such thing as like handcrafted vodka. So at least there's like the concept, like the, concept that there's something more to life than just Belvedere and Smirnoff and all that stuff. So <laughs> I think we're on our way, but we're not, we've got a long road ahead of us, I think in terms of like consumer awareness, but that's kind of half the fun though. So. Yeah. So bartenders are massively, massively important to a young brand like yours. I mean, oh, that's your salesperson. That is your, I mean, instead of having a sales 
like team it goes out yeah. you do a, you and yourself and whoever many people people you have have sales but they are the on the the ground sales yeah. person by person who comes into the bar exactly yeah so if you get a you know we've been fortunate that many bartenders have really enjoyed our spirits and have used them and so we've enjoyed the success of like seeing our cocktails all over town um so yeah thank god people like uh, San Miguel and Barrel Flag and Ampersand and all that. So they've been well used. Um, but yeah, it's, if without them, it's, you know, people can check us out on Instagram or they can check us out on Facebook or go to our website. But until like they actually get a taste of it, it's really hard for them to pull the trigger when you go to a liquor store to buy something, you know, or at a bar, you're probably a lot more willing to like try a cocktail with San Miguel on it versus just seeing it on a shelf and spending $35 versus spending, you know, eight, 10 bucks on a cocktail that you're sure will be good. Cause you probably <laughs> trust the bartender. So and what was the hardest one to make? What was the one that was the hardest to perfect? I mean, it, it give us yeah. a quick rundown of your, your basic line and tell us which one was the hardest. Yeah. So our core lineup is San Miguel Southwestern gin. So that was the one I kind of developed in my backyard on a little, I had like a little pot still I made from uh, some homebrew, materials and some copper piping from home depot um so i was like <laughs> making perfume in my backyard because you can't legally distill spirits um came up with the recipe for that so th that was the first spirit i came up with then the next once we actually got our full-size still a uh, thousand liter german uh hybrid column still so once we got that i perfected the recipe for um barrel flag which is our navy strength rum which is actually like two rums distilled separately then blended together. So it's like a sugarcane juice rum, then like a molasses, uh, vanilla sugar rum fermented with brewer's yeast, then distilled separately and blended together. Um, we couldn't really do that on my small still because how distilling works is like what you distill on dramatically changes like the end product just through the different types of reflux and like the like geometry of the still and kind of like the temperature, there's a lot of factors. So we figured that out and then finally the final product to our core lineup release was our uh, ampersand coffee liqueur. Mm -hmm. And that one was probably the hardest because I've been trying to figure out how to make a good taste in coffee liqueur. I tried distilling coffee beans. I tried infusing them. I tried doing like espresso, hot brew, cold brew. So eventually we came like us in a coffee and tea collective is the roaster we use. Or actually my best buddies mm -hmm. from college started that. They're great. So we eventually came up with like a, uh, cold press, like high, highly concentrated coffee that we make that we infuse with the sugarcane juice rum. And then a little bit of that sugarcane juice that we make the rum from to sweeten it up. Um, but we only sweeten to a pretty much legal lowest amount of sugar you can have in the liqueur because I'm not a huge fan of sugar in my drinks. Uh, yeah, you can always add sugar, but you can't take it out. So yeah. once it's in there, it's in there. But so it's like a very clean, uh, coffee flavor but we're using rum as opposed to most coffee liqueurs use vodka as the base which doesn't really add any character so you're already getting some sweetness from the rum because we're using our sugar cane juice rum which is kind of fun so yeah but then now we have a vodka and a, a new gin that's really complicated because we actually hand forge all the botanicals from it that one's called 1542 it's a native botanical so it's only stuff that was in california when california was discovered in 1542 by cabrillo so everything in that bottle was here when we land or when the Spanish landed here. So give us kinda, some examples. Uh, Yerba Santa, lemonade, berry, uh, white sage, black sage. Um, 
there's what else is there uh what is the lemonade yeah. berry lemonade berry yeah so <laughs> i would have thought really of that cool. as a lemon no lemons that's right i couldn't hear lemon lemon like an otter pop flavor <laughs> lemonade berry yeah it's this crazy local like it it really only grows around like san diego county actually um but it's this like little red berry that's got like this coating of like citric like a citric acid and some malic acid and sorbic acid, a few other at but it you put it in your mouth, it tastes like you're drinking lemonade. It's the craziest thing. And uh, Native Americans would actually make like a tea out of it and it tastes like lemonade. It's, it's wild. Um, so we actually like collaborated on that with this farm called Nopalito Farm, who uh, the owners of Bayonne Royale, the burger joint in Point Loma as well. Um, mm -hmm. So we get a lot of our botanicals from their farm, but then we also go and hand forage them as well. Um, probably my favorite uh, botanical in that is this one called Cal uh, Artemisia Californica, which its colloquial name is actually Cowboy Cologne because yeah. <laughs> um, cowboys would ride their horses through it on their way back to go see their wives or girlfriends so they'd smell nice as opposed to smelling like the two weeks of the trail they'd been They on. would intentionally ride through it so they uh -huh. could get it. Yeah, there's these big bushes and they'd ride their horses through it and they hey. called it Cowboy Cologne. It's it's really nice smelling. You can really get that nose from our 1542 gin, which is kind of fun. It's like Axe body spray growing out of the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> natural, natural Axe for the, for the cowboy in your life. Yeah, exactly. So you, you talked about uh, collaborating with like farms and whatnot, and we know all the breweries here collaborate with other breweries. Yeah. Has there really been any kind of collaboration between other distilleries as of yet because I, I haven't really seen many but maybe it's just that I'm not looking in the right places um let's see yeah I take that not as a big so note. much there have been <laughs> I know there's one there's one company or a couple companies in the Midwest that did a big collaboration um but beyond that no i and that's really and honestly, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that consumers don't even know about you know the small guys yet. Where like that even collaboration isn't gonna hasn't really taken off because not enough people even know about like one of us yet. So until until we get the word out on until there's like you know a stone brewing and a society that can collaborate on something of the spirit world, it's gonna be hard to get consumers extremely excited. We already have been working with uh, breweries, though, about making whiskeys. So that's been kind of fun. Um, so we've already collaborated with breweries. Um, so we actually have done some collaborations with, like, Amplified, and you can actually get a whiskey we made for them at their East Village location because they have a full liquor license. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, that's something we like doing is working with breweries, but that's uh, – still sitting most of that stuff still in barrels so it's gonna be a little while so you get to see that and what's your and is that kind of i'm oh, sorry go ahead go ahead uh, is that kind of how it is with like all the local distilleries it's pretty much everyone doing like vodka gin rum and liqueurs right now because they've all started in the last you know five years and it's you know you need yeah. to have something aged for 10 or 15 years or did some of these companies start like 15 years ago and we just didn't know about them uh i mean cutwater is really the only one locally that's been around for i mean we're coming up on six years. So we've like in our, we have a cast version of our rum that's got some five-year-old rum in it. That's kind of fun. And then we've got some whiskeys that are approaching like four years old now in barrels, but yeah, it's still going to be a little while till you start seeing 
there's guys that do whiskeys in small barrels, um, which that ages them faster. Well, not doesn't age them faster, but it makes them taste more mature quickly because you get more surface area in contact with wood. You get a little more evaporation, so it kind of gives you um, some of the flavor characteristics of something that was more aged. But at the end of the day, I think there's something to be said about aging like 53 gallon barrels for five to 15 years. Yeah, you can't replace that, I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, there's been companies that have tried, but even the ones that they say have the same chemical profile as a 15 year old barrel doesn't taste the same to me. So it's like the difference something... between finding a truffle under a tree in Italy and then getting truffle oil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. You just can't mimic the real, real thing. Uh, it's, tell me, what was your biggest day? What was, what was the best day in your, I mean, you have these ups and downs as any entrepreneur yeah. will tell you, you know, but can you remember a day that you're like, Oh my God, I landed this account. This happened, mm. this, whatever it was. And was there something you're like, okay, we're going to make it. We're going to be okay. <laughs> Oh man, um, have I even had that day yet? That's the question. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, one of the best days was probably like our just our soft opening for friends and family. Like you know, we had thirty friends and maybe more forty friends and family come out, come to the distillery and made some cocktails and kind of had fun that way. But then in terms of like maybe an account, I don't know. Um, you know, anytime like getting placements at like Vons or BevMo and things like that are really cool. But also like some of my more exciting things for me is some bartenders, they really enjoy my last name. So they've used uh, my last name in the names of several cocktails around town. <laughs> there's like the Scubic Diver, there's Scubic's Cube. So there's, there's, been a, there's been a few very funny names on my name. So that's always kind of fun to go drink and drink with your, uh, name on it, I guess. Absolutely, it's like but, being animated in a magazine or something. You know, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah that's, awesome. <laughs> that's me. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's a weird, definitely a weird feeling. Yeah, but it's it's it makes it worth makes what you do like worthwhile to like go out there and be able to drink what you make at a bar and have somebody like excited to make you something with it. It's it's a lot of fun. Now, what is it? So, in, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nope, you go. I interrupted you last time. <laughs> um, what does the industry look like? You said right now during this this whole pandemic, you're doing really well because I mean, well, I mean, you're just, you're not relatively your shirt. Yeah. You're not losing your shirt like you know yep. a lot of businesses are because people are still drinking. You know, and yeah. obviously we can't go to a, a a bar. We are getting the the liquor ourselves and making it at home at seven a.m. and ten a.m. and twelve a.m. and twelve p.m. You know, yeah. so that does help. But what's the industry look like long term? I mean, what's, give us an outlook. I mean, is it still going to be a slow, slow growth? Are you seeing a hockey stick projection for the craft spirit industry? Or, you know, I thought it was going to take blow up already. It's, I would say it's in the process of blowing up. Like I said, I think we're probably around that 2005, 2009 inflection point of craft beer. Um, and ironically, I think the last recession is actually one of the things that made craft beer explode so much is because some people going on vacations, they could kind of stick around their hometown and discover that cool little craft beer down the street. Right. And they had a little spending cash because they weren't taking their friend, their family to Disney World or like Hawaii or whatever. So it's like, oh, let's go walk down the street and see this cool little local brewery. And I'm not sure if the exact same thing's happening with COVID, but it seems like people 
are, I, I know that the sales for cocktail making tools have skyrocketed like cocktail kingdom. I think their sales are up like 800% for their cocktail shakers and mixers and stuff like that. So that's wow. probably a good sign that people are thinking more about what they're drinking, which I think is the same thing that happened uh, in the last recession. I mean, well, I and I would paint think like a rosy picture of COVID or anything, but you know, right. people still want to have fun regardless. And having a cocktail at home is always fun. And I would so. think that that would be more economical too than like say a bottle of wine or even, oh, yeah. even beer and not to bash on those industries at all, which I will, I love both of them, but you know, yep. buying a full bottle and you mix that with something, you know, even if it's something simple, a little soda, a little soda and, and mm -hmm. lime, you know, you can make it go a long way. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, my favorite cocktail is just San Miguel lime juice and soda water, a gin Ricky. I drink those all the time, you know, and so you get 15-ish, 15 to 18 drinks out of a bottle and you're spending 30 bucks on a bottle. It's a pretty good return on investment right there, you know. Right, yeah, a so, couple bucks at home. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, and I know there's been some conjecture about whether people are going to stop drinking cocktails at bars because they're learning how to make them at home. But I don't think that's true at all. Cause I'd be saying like home brewers stop people drinking crap beers at bars. And that definitely was not the case. I think it yeah. increased the amount of cocktails or beers being drunk, especially crap beers being drunk. And I think the same thing will happen. If you know how to make a great cocktail at home, your expectations of having a great cocktail to bar probably change a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be good for the cocktail industry, if anything. Like nice. More people are going to be excited to be drinking cocktails. And, you know, if they actually know what a Negroni is, like, that's a game changer. So it's yeah, like, absolutely. yeah, yeah. So other than liquor stores, where, where can people find, find your product? Because is the tasting room open right now? Can you actually go to the distillery right now? Oh, no. <laughs> Did you get shut down? I wasn't sure if you had any kind of food license or anything along those lines. No, we've we've never... So I don't know if you know my neighborhood. I'm on 17th and K in East Village. It's a little bit dicey in terms of like uh, the downtown neighborhood. It's it's not some place you'd want to be hanging out. There's actually a pretty nice article I think in uh, Voice San Diego calling it the crack corner of San Diego. So we're kind of like this uh, pretty wild corner down there. Mm -hmm. um, but the rent's cheap. So that's why I moved in there and I have high hopes for San Diego. I think eventually all San Diego will be a beautiful paradise. Um, but currently you can get our stuff on our website. You can just go to oldharborddistilling.com, click on shop, find it through our web store, or you can actually, there's a link to find every store in California that sells it as well. Um, so you can just click on that link and hopefully walk down to your nearest liquor store and grab it. But yeah, we've, We've not run a tasting room out of the distillery in a long time just because I was doing it for a while and people were kind of a little too scared to get out of their cars sometimes. So I, uh, I mean, look, nobody, nobody, starts a, nobody starts a business. Like, I mean, young entrepreneur, nobody starts that business in Del Mar or La Jolla. Yeah. You know, I mean, you gotta, gotta start in that sketchy area because you can afford it as a small upstart business. And then, exactly ideally you know crack corner becomes you know um something not crack corner it becomes rehab <laughs> corner it becomes i don't know it's Some getting nicer and nicer yeah for sure i mean it used to be i don't know if you guys have spent much time in east village but you know 2009 i think neighborhood was like on you know what's that eighth that was kind of like 
was kind of feeling sketchy, but now you can go all the way to like 16th with no feelings of sketch at all, which is great. So and I've never been scared of any of that stuff ever. Like I, I'm happy to walk around any neighborhood, um, but I can see why some people would be concerned of, you know, a little scary sometimes. One day it'll come, man. One day it'll come. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we've been chatting with Mike Skubik uh, from Old Harbor Distilling. Please stay and join us for two people, 50 bucks or two people for takeout. Let us know where you get stuff. Uh, one last thing, where can everyone find you on website and social medias? Our handles for Instagram and Twitter are just old underscore Harbor. Um, our website's oldharborstilling.com. And yeah, I can find all of our information through those spots. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. So yeah. let's go dive right into two people for takeout. Troy, I've gone last with you the last two weeks. So let's start with you this week. All right. So I'm going to go down into a part of our, um, a part of our city that's been hit, you know, recent, recently hard um, by COVID. And so there's those restaurants need help. And, you know, there's a, one of my favorite spots that's really close to the border in Nestor is uh, Fernandez. Fernandez Birria. Uh, it's a place, you know, right off the freeway where you can, beer is a great thing to get to go during this, you know, quarantine, takeout, whatever. You can get a massive thing of birria, and they are one of the best in San Diego, if not the country, at making birria, which is a slow-cooked stew, you know, Mexican stew, and traditionally made with goat, um, but I believe theirs is made with beef. And you can get like a huge thing of it and keep it in your freezer for, you know, I mean, months, you know, and you can just heat that thing up when, it, you know, a, thaw it out and then cook it up the next day but they also have this queso taco that they have it's oh mm. this corn tortilla with crispy melted cheese and then they they actually take the tortilla and, and kind of fry it in the birria grease and then they put the birria in there and they got cabbage and hot sauce mm. anyways it's a classic standby right by the border and right now honestly you want to drive, don't you? you? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's 25, 30 minutes away. You know, you want to, and, and you can, they have a huge parking lot. You can have ample space, you know, to, be, to like get your social distance and just pick it up at the window to go. You know, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's definitely like a great like, quarantine buy because you can store that stuff in your, your freezer for a month, month, two months. Into it. Marie, how about you? Two people for takeout. So it's been warm out and um, no matter how hot, hot it gets, that will not stop me from eating ramen. <laughs> and I, I, I grew up in a humid place and Troy and I were talking about this, that eating um, hot soup like pho on a really warm day will actually kind of like force your body to cool yourself down. It's this weird mm -hmm. reverse psychology cool. thing, but it works. And um, I went to Hiro Nori Craft uh, Ramen in Hillcrest. They have a broth that is uh, shoyu based shoyu is the Japanese word for soy sauce and I I personally like the clear broths over the tonkotsu those thick you know milky ones and it's just um, it's, it's light it's clean and the grilled pork that it comes with it's it's just perfect so um, Hironori and Hillcrest that's my recommendation which I got from Troy when he did a rapid review of it when they first opened I can't, I can't say enough about that show you. I'm actually the opposite, Marie. Like, I love tonkatsu. Yeah. I love all that collagen. <laughs> I love all that porkiness and everything else. I was like, all right, well, I'll try the show you. Apparently, it's really good here. And you try it. Holy crap, it's so good. That is a fantastic place. <laughs> Michael, how about yourself? Oh, man. Um, 
let's see. So I probably should give a shout out to one of my best friends, Matt Lyons. His restaurant's having their fourth anniversary. And uh, so Tribute Pizza. And Love they it. do happen to make maybe the best tiramisu uh, I've ever had, but they also use our coffee liqueur in it. So you know, I've got to gotta rep that while I can. Um, <laughs> so, and not to mention Tribute Pizza does make some of the most killer pizza uh, in San Diego, I think. So yeah, and so forth. So got to support. Absolutely. And he's done such a good job with that. I mean, A, it's in the old post office, which is what's beautiful, added something to North Park. And then he is helping out the farmers during the pandemic, you know, like doing CSA boxes to go, you know, when everything's shut down. Just a good, good person who's invested into their, their um, community, you know. Totally. Free toilet paper, too. <laughs> Free toilet paper on to go. <laughs> so uh, the other night I got dinner twice in the same night. <laughs> and I couldn't decide which one I wanted to do more. I think I'll do the other one next week. But so we mentioned it in Hot Plates the other day, Gelati and Piccati, uh, the new restaurant owned by the people from Buena Forqueta. Oh, mm-hmm. my Lord. I wanted to try it because I was like, I don't know if I've ever had Roman-style pizza. It blew my flipping mind. The crust is so good. It's not like super, super thick crust. It's like three-quarter inch crust. The bottom is nice and crisp. And then the inside is chewy with just the best air bubbles. It's like full of all like these giant air bubbles. It's so light and fluffy. Not a crazy lot of sauce, which I liked, and not a crazy lot of cheese. So it really let like kind of the, the spicy salami and pepperoni and whatnot that I got on it um, really shine. But I loved it. Absolutely delicious. Ate a piece, didn't feel weighed down at all. And then I got a, a couple scoops of their gelato. Got their Peruvian chocolate and then their vegan strawberry. Took those home and basically paired those with a glass of uh, a nice dark, uh, dark red wine. And I was one happy camper. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That's good. Yes. So uh, that's it. That's uh, San Diego Magazine's happy half hour. Thank you so much again for joining us. Once again, we totally want to hear from you. Uh, give us a call, 619-744-0535 and leave us a voicemail or email us at happyhalfhour.com, or I guess happyhalfhour at sdmag.com. And on the iTunes podcast store, give us five stars, please. We would love it. We'd appreciate it. And thank you so, so very much for you. Michael, once again, thank you so much for being with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys. See you next week. Thanks, you guys. See you next week.